Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the book of the Bible that I read most often, and I'm going to invite you, if you don't have this habit yet, if you've been a part of our church for a long time, I'm going to invite you to adopt a habit I learned from my wife, who I believe learned it from her father. We are in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is some 3,000 years old. It existed through the writings primarily of King Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, a thousand years before Jesus was born. It's wisdom literature, which means it reads a little differently than any other part of the Bible. It's called Proverbs because it is the collected wise sayings of the people that God instructed 3,000 years ago to shape not only the character but the behavior of His chosen people, from whom would come Jesus, the Savior of the world. The habit I'm referring to refers to reading the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month. Happily, Proverbs has 31 chapters. So today, if you will join me on this journey, you would read Proverbs chapter… Today is May 1st. So you would read Proverbs chapter 1, and tomorrow you would read Proverbs chapter 2. And if you will dedicate yourself to that goal, you won't do it perfectly because nobody does. I certainly don't. It is my stated public intention to read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month every day for the rest of my life. I don't always do it. But if you will be diligent in it, you will grow wise because of it. So I have actually quite a bit to do today. This message really is in two parts. The first part is a bit of a class. I'd like to teach you to read Proverbs. And of all the series we do at, at Crosspoint, I think of the recurring series that we've done, this has been the most popular. People resonate with Proverbs. Maybe you'll see why as we go. They're wise, they're incisive, they're confrontational, sometimes they're hilarious if you know how to read them. So let me show you first a few rules of the road so that you'll know what you're reading. A lady after the first service said, Proverbs to me is the hardest book in the Bible. I'd never heard that. Most people take to them rather easily. For her it was difficult and I think it has to do with they just read differently because they are wise sayings. We're not entirely sure what to do with them. So if you've been here for a long time, some of this, not all of it, but some of it will be repetitious to you, but maybe reviewing the basics like every good team does will be helpful as we journey together toward wisdom and we together grow wise. Here's the main thing to know about Proverbs. Proverbs are concentrated truth from the creator of life. Proverbs are truth about life from the creator of life. Proverbs are truth concentrate. If you've ever bought anything in concentrated form, just a few drops will go a very, very long way. Proverbs, usually in two lines, want to tell you how life works, what is actually true. There are a few extended sections of teaching in Proverbs. Well, it will explore an idea for a chapter or more, but that's rare. What Proverbs is most famous for is what one scholar has described as pearls on a string. It's one wise, beautiful saying after another, not necessarily connected, just one wise thought after another, and it's concentrated truth. That means Proverbs are not necessarily telling you 
what you should do, Proverbs more often is more like, what's going on here? That's why some reason, that's one reason some people struggle with Proverbs. Proverbs do not always directly tell you what to do. It makes a simple observation about life, and it tells you this is what's happening. If you haven't heard, if you've been deceived, if you're just getting into this area of life, this is what's really happening. This is how life really works. Proverbs always, because they are truth from God who made life and knows life, Proverbs always tell it like it is. Here's an example. Proverbs 20, verse 14 says, Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. Now, that's just a very earthly, kitchen table kind of saying. It's not eternally important. God, life, death, the big issues of life are not in Proverbs 20, verse 14. But God who is life, God who made life and gives life, He knows how all of life works. That's why you should read all of it. Sections of it will not apply to you when you read it, but if you read it consistently and diligently, that wisdom will shape both your character and your behavior. And two years after you've been taking in this concentrate, it will flash up in your mind and keep you out of trouble because you took the time to listen to wisdom long before you needed it. It's always good to be wise before the pressure is on than try to act smart when it already is. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but then when he goes away, but when he goes away, then he boasts. What's this proverb about? What's it talking about? Family, love, marriage, children, God, life, death, insurance. What was this proverb about? It's about buying, right? That's what it's about. And it just tells you, listen, the way life works, it's like a father taking a son aside and saying, listen, buddy. Here's how this is going to work. See that guy? He wants to take all of our money. We don't want him to have any of it. We want to take advantage of him. He thinks he's going to take advantage to us. Have you ever bought a car? <laughs> this is essentially every transaction where the price is in any way negotiable. The guy doing the buyers, uh, the guy doing the buying says, this is terrible. I don't want this. It's all wrong. The color's wrong. Look, no, 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 it's terrible. And the other guy says, you're crazy. You don't know what you're looking at. This is wonderful. And there's this long, heated discussion, and the buyer who says, bad, bad, he makes the purchase, and then he goes home, and he tells his wife and his kids, really took advantage of that guy. What a chump. He didn't get paid today. Not on my watch. (laughs) That's how life works. Before you buy a car, you should take Proverbs 20, verse 14, into your heart and life. Here's one that I think is more important. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now Proverbs is going to tell you about a man, a person, a particular kind of person, a person without self-control. And then it says that he is like something else, like something very different, like something you wouldn't imagine a human being could be like. Your English teacher maybe years ago tried to teach you what a simile was, and you didn't listen because that was kind of a nerdy word, and here it is rearing its head. It matters. 
This is a literary and a rhetorical device to tell you that one thing is life is very much like another. It invites you to consider a word picture and be warned and blessed and protected by what it's trying to help you imagine. In the ancient world, you see, cities had walls. Any population center of any size at all built a strong wall around itself, had a very limited number of gates, and put armed guards at the gate. It was essential in the ancient world where this was being written for the city to be walled. Otherwise, foreign soldiers would come in at night and murder people in their beds. A city without walls is an uninhabitable city. It is a city that is chronically vulnerable. It is a city where people would fear for their lives and would never have a restful moment moment sleep. If we wanted to change the word picture, it would sound like this. A man without self-control is like a house without a front door. If you got home from church and saw that your front door was gone, what would your reaction be? Would you go in? Probably shouldn't. Whatever psycho took the door off might still be in there. Getting ready to take something off of you next. Would you sleep there? No, you wouldn't sleep there until you could replace the door. You'd probably want to talk to the police. I don't know what's going on here, but my house, I came home from church and my house didn't have a front door. I don't know what's happening. Someone without self-control, Proverbs warns, is chronically vulnerable. If you don't have self-control, your whole life is at risk. Have you ever known somebody who, as we say, lost it and then lost their career? lost their reputation, lost a friendship or a business or a marriage because of a crack in the armor where their real heart, their real character, their real lack of self-control was expressed, Proverbs would warn you, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, it's not telling you to have self-control. It's just telling you how life works. If you don't develop self-control, you will be chronically at risk. Everything you are and everything you treasure could be taken from you if you don't develop self-control. That proverb alone might make me sit quietly and think about any area of my life where I lack self-control because it is in that area at least that I'm vulnerable. It might be my money, it might be my relationships, it might be my health, Anywhere self-control is lacking, vulnerability exists. That's the warning of Proverbs 25, 28. The tricky part about Proverbs is that they teach discernment, but they also require it. In other words, they tell you how to decide, how to choose righteously as you make your way through life, but much like strength, for Proverbs to do you any good, you have to have at least a little discernment to start with. Proverbs are a little bit like strength. If you have no strength at all in your body, if you are utterly paralyzed, you can never grow stronger. But if you have even a little bit of strength, enough strength to get out of bed and walk 20 feet, maybe the next morning through determination, you can get up out of bed the next day and walk 50 feet. And maybe in a week you can be walking around the block and maybe three years later you can be running marathons. I've known people like that 
who had a baseline of strength and through diligence and care built themselves into athletic machines. Proverbs needs you to have at least the discernment to take the proverb in and to ponder it and to be open to the instruction and the correction that it's giving you. As it teaches you discernment, it's also going to require at least a little bit of you. Proverbs 26, verse 7 from the New Living Translation, very vivid, which is why I chose this particular translation for this single verse, warns us that Proverbs may be useless to you if you're not open to what they're teaching you, if you have no discernment at all. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. Well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That might even hurt somebody's feelings. A proverb in the mouth of a fool is as useless as a paralyzed leg. What does that mean? Well, that reminds me of one of my Bible college roommates. He was brilliant, but lazy. He was the, he was the lazy man in Proverbs who put his spoon in the dish and was too lazy to bring the spoon to his mouth. And he would lay in bed in our Bible college dorm room and quote the Proverbs against laziness. And name the disaster that was going to come if he kept procrastinating study. And then he would roll over, having quoted scripture, he would roll over at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and take a two-hour nap. A proverb in the mouth of a man like that is as useless as a paralyzed leg. You've got the proverb, but it's doing you no good whatsoever. So this series, depending on your attitude, might do you no good at all. You can read and memorize Proverbs, but if you don't humbly apply them, if you don't receive their direction and take their instruction, they'll do you no good at all. Proverbs itself tells you that. Here's an interesting proverb that puts you in the heart of the struggle for discernment. There are two Proverbs side by side in Proverbs 26. One says... Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Have you ever gotten into it with a foolish person and ended up at the end realizing that you've acted twice the fool as they did? This proverb says, if you see someone acting foolishly, don't say anything to him. You get into it with a fool, you'll act a fool yourself. The very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Every once in a while, people who are skeptical of the Bible say, Pastor, the Bible contradicts itself. And I say, absolutely, you're exactly right. Let me show you in Proverbs where it does. It actually gives you contrary advice. Did you see that? First it says, answer a fool, so he's not self-conceited. And then it says, don't answer a fool. It alternates, it tells you to do the exact opposite thing. And it's purposeful. These two Proverbs are not ten chapters apart. It's not like the man writing Proverbs changed his mind or forgot his first instruction. He put them beside each other to alert you to the fact that in life when you deal with foolish people, you'll often have a decision to make. Proverbs wants you to ask, is this one of the times when I should answer? Or would it be wiser with this particular fool to keep my mouth shut. It depends. It's not a moral commandment. It requires wisdom. The vision of Proverbs helps you look back 
and it helps you look forward. It helps you back, look backward to see reality. It helps you look forward to spark wise action in your life. While I was in the first service, a dear friend of mine was sitting near where I'm standing now, and I know because he's opened his whole life up to me, I know how much his previous lack of self-control before he came to Christ and got serious about becoming like Jesus Christ and becoming an actual Christian, we both know because he's told me at length how much his lack of self-control has cost him. So when I read that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, I literally watched and heard that proverb hit him. I don't know if he was familiar with it before I read it, but I watched it affect him. I could see the wheels turning, him looking back, and with biblical light seeing the foolishness and the mess that he'd gotten himself into earlier. He's an entirely different man. He's not like that anymore by the grace of Jesus because he has taken the life of Christ into his own. He has become a wise man. Now he knows how to act going forward. If Proverbs were a story, the main characters, aside from God, which is at the center of Proverbs, the main characters would be a wise man and a fool. What Proverbs invites you to do is sit on the sidelines of life and watch a wise person and watch a foolish person live their lives and watch what happens to them to invite you to decide what you want to happen to you. Whether through a video game or a board game or a book, did you ever have one of those choose-your-own-adventure games where you're kind of put at various crossroads as the game advances? And sometimes it says, you have died, and that's it. You got dysentery, you're dead, congratulations, it's over. Other times you make it, and you're the king, or you settle the farm, or you fight off the warring tribe, or whatever it is, congratulations. Your sustained wise choices got you through to the other side. Proverbs allows you to do that absolutely free of cost. The only cost in Proverbs will be to your pride. But you will say, I don't really know what to do. I'm not as smart as I think. I'm not as knowledgeable as I have led other people to believe. I'm going to sit here quietly and let this book search me while I search it. Here's a good proverb, Proverbs 22, verse 3, speaking about how life works out for the wise man or the fool. The prudent sees danger and, what's it say? Hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. At various times, working with various different kinds of young men, I've had to tell some young men, listen, if you keep telling law enforcement that you pay their salary, there's a certain kind of officer that make, will make sure you get full value, all the benefit of his training, experience, equipment, maybe even lodging and food. They'll give you full value for your investment in paying his salary. When he says, stop, I need to talk to you for a minute, there's danger in that conversation. The prudent heeds it. The simple goes on and they suffer for it. Last week, a young leader in a kind of a high-stakes profession told me of a meeting he was a witness to where he watched a fool get what a fool wants. 
he watched another young leader, his peer, in a big meeting of the minds where the big bosses in this large organization were all present. And what was happening was the men in charge were talking about real work, and they had just invited a couple of the kids to listen and learn. But one of them was a fool. And he spoke up and mocked the life's work of one of his biggest bosses. And the, I know, see, you see the danger, and you're already, you're cringing on the inside, hoping to hide yourself, even though you're just hearing the story. And the biggest of the bosses said, excuse me, what did you just say? Little tip, if you're ever in a situation, and the big boss in your world says, excuse me, what did you just say? They're not hard of hearing, they're giving you a chance to escape. This young man mistook himself in the circumstance. He doubled down, said it again, said it stronger. And the man who is tasked with dealing out discipline in that particular organization, a man who my confidant explains is chronically angry, spent the next several hours explaining at a high volume with intense language to that young man how foolish he was to see danger and keep on trucking. He did indeed suffer for it. Here's my life's verse. Aside from the words, I love you, this is the, these are the words that my mother most often pronounced in my presence while I was growing up. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You can call my mom in Mexico today. She'll tell you. Still need it. Pastors talk a lot. Big part of the job is talking. Proverbs says, in many words, sin is not absent. You keep talking, you'll start sinning. But listen to the wisdom. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Shut up. They think you'll, they'll think you're deep. They think you, won't, you don't talk much because you're processing it all. Not because you don't know what's going on. No, they won't think that. You just nod wisely, look in their eyes, and they will think that you are intelligent. Proverbs 29, 11. Proverbs has a lot to say about speech. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. What Proverbs is saying is we all have things in our mind. We all have things on our chest. We live in a culture that has perfected in the United States in the 21st century. We have perfected a culture in which it is easy for foolish people to find a big microphone and share their whole mind and heart with the whole world. Social media makes that possible. I won't bore you with all the details, but years ago I was reminded of this proverb because a young female executive at the very top of her profession, right before boarding a plane to the other side of the world, got it off her chest and tweeted something out telling the world what it was like. The whole world saw it. People who were offended by it brought it to the attention of her company, her peers, her family, her friends, and especially her bosses and asked one question. You see this stupid, hateful thought? Does that represent you? This kind of person you want working for your company? She didn't know it, but in mid-flight, she was fired. When she landed several hours later, she was world famous and unemployed. Why? Because a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. 
the Garner translation of that paraphrase that I say to myself all the time in certain kinds of meetings is this, I can always say it later, but I can never take it back. If I say it right here, right now, whew, they might start a blog about me. I might have a Twitter account, Garner Exposed, and my one moment of brilliant stupidity might be the only thing I'm known for for the rest of my life. Proverbs would warn you of the dangers, the destruction, and the wisdom and the blessing to be found depending on what you do. Proverbs invites you to ask, what kind of person am I? Do I see myself acting and consistently like the wise person or like the fool? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. And let's begin where we always should begin. Let's begin with the beginning. Let me show you what's ahead of you on this particular journey. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here he's going to tell you why he wrote the book. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity. In other words, Proverbs can not only shape your behavior, it can shape your own character. It can make you righteous, it can make you just, it can make you an equitable, fair-minded person. Proverbs can do all of that because it is designed, verse 3, to help you receive instruction. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. What is Proverbs telling you here? That Proverbs doesn't come naturally to anyone. That everyone in the world needs to grow in wisdom. Notice in verse 4 it says, Proverbs will give prudence to the simple and discretion to the youth. When I tell you that Proverbs is to truth, concentrate, that concentrate welcomed into your life will accelerate you far beyond your years. Another section of the Bible in the Psalms, the psalmist says, I know more than the elderly and I understand more than my teachers because, God, I have followed your rules. In other words, you can be 25 and wise and you can be 85 and utterly foolish. Everything has to do with how you deal with the truth of life that God himself knows. But Proverbs truth about wisdom is it doesn't come naturally to anyone, both the young, the untaught, and the wise people themselves can continue growing. Verse 5, look, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. If you think you're pretty wise already, careful because you're probably not. People who are self-assured in wisdom almost always prove to be fools in the end. But if you can gratefully, realistically acknowledge that God has given you wisdom, that He has blessed you with wisdom, verse 5 says, if the wise hear, they will increase in learning, and the one who already understands will obtain guidance. I love that because that tells me that wherever I've been, further guidance is available if only I will listen. Wisdom doesn't come naturally to anyone, but number two, by God's grace, it's available to everyone. 
everyone in the world, the foolish and the wise, the young and the old, people in the middle of the battle and the stress of the journey, everyone can learn because by God's grace, what He knows about life and cares to tell us about it, it's all available and it's all right here. Verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If there's a single verse in Proverbs that you need to take to heart, remember, memorize, underline in your Bible, it's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. That's the heart of the book. That's the foundation. Proverbs is going to tell you all about life. It's going to talk candidly about sex and marriage and money and earning and saving, and borrowing, and repaying loans, and raising children. It's going to talk to you about everything you care about, and everything you should. The things that you're too foolish to care about, Proverbs is going to wave giant flags in front of you, telling you, hey, pay attention to this. You've been interested in trivial, silly things that are going to cost you a lot of money, may cost you your life. Pay attention to this instead. But Proverbs 1 verse 7 says that the very beginning of knowledge, where knowledge itself starts, is, verse 7, the fear of the Lord. And in a culture that is safety-obsessed, a phrase, the fear of the Lord, seems menacing. And in a culture where abuse is far too rampant, that verse for many is an immediate turnoff and an immediate puzzle. Let me explain it to you. The fear of the Lord is a core biblical idea. It starts with the existence that there is an uncreated eternal God, that the matter around us, this, this table, this body, this floor, these trees around us, this wind blowing through this beautiful city, that was not always there. There is a God who made it. He is the first cause and the creator of everything that is known, including you. And He is so magnificent, so holy, so righteous, so just, so good, so unbelievably, unfathomably impressive that the only reasonable response, if you know who He actually is, is to be in awe of Him to revere Him. And the biblical expression is to fear Him. And this is not the cringing fear of an abused child who hears Dad slam the front door open and fears again for his safety. No, this eternal God, as it turns out, is not a force or an energy. He's a person. His fundamental way to explain Himself to the people He made is to call Himself Father. And He is both perfectly holy and He is so loving that He is actually called love. God is love. In other words, it's not just that He acts loving as you and I might, that He is love itself. And that He is creative and powerful and wise and generous and compassionate and merciful and also unfailingly just and righteous. That every evil will be dealt with either through the generous forgiveness of a God who sacrifices Himself to forgive those who offended Him or the inevitable justice of those who refuse Him and ignore Him and blaspheme Him. This God 
if he actually exists, obviously should only reasonably be responded to with a deep-seated, from-the-heart reverence, what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. In other words, it is an obedience that flows from the heart, not from fear, as we understand it, not from a cringing fear, not under drudging obligation the way you do your job when you don't really want to be there, but so overawed, so swept up that someone like this would love you and pay attention to you and give you his own name and call you his own child, that of course you're going to do what he says. That's the fear of the Lord, and Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, if you take in all the practical wisdom of Proverbs, it will make your life better. Because knowing what sellers are actually like, knowing what debt really is, knowing what marital infidelity will actually cost you, all of those in the book of Proverbs, knowing that and guiding your life accordingly will absolutely benefit you. But if you miss the God who set it all in motion and who knows it all to be true, you've missed life itself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, what's it say? Despise wisdom and instruction. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Paul, a thousand years after Proverbs was written, tells us that wisdom has a name. Watch this. In all the times I've studied Proverbs, I had not seen this and made this connection. I apologize for that, but I want to share it with you now. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, a Christian church born in the most pagan of old Greco-Roman culture. He wrote this, Jews demand signs and Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Gentiles, will you read the rest of it with me? What's it say? Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus Christ is the power of God, and very importantly it says Jesus is the what? The wisdom of God. So when you're reading the life of the wise man in Proverbs, you're reading the character of Jesus. Jesus would make Every choice that the wise man makes in Proverbs, you can see the measure of your own character and your own need of the grace of God by seeing how far you fall short of choosing, acting, feeling, doing, speaking as Jesus always would because He is the very wisdom of God. This is why we need Christ. This is why Proverbs actually points forward to the grace and the person of Jesus. But finally, let me tell you that according to what I'm going to read now from Proverbs chapter 1 before we're done, Proverbs doesn't come naturally to anyone, but it's available by God's grace to all of us. We begin the path of wisdom by revering the Lord Himself, and the proof of whether we are growing wise is not whether we can quote Proverbs, it is proven by how we relate to others. And that's the burden of the rest of the chapter. Look in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 
Now you can see that Proverbs is an abstract. It's King Solomon asking his young son to get close. Come here, buddy. Come here. Listen. I have something to tell you. Listen to my teaching. Whatever your mother shares with you, do not forget it. If you'll put into practice what we're teaching you, there'll be trophies in your life. It will beautify your life. You will walk through life a clear, decorated winner if only you will listen to us. What Proverbs is telling you here is first, wise people receive instruction, and especially from their parents. By God's design, the cradle of wisdom is to be in the home from mom and dad telling their children personally up close where wisdom can be seen and heard and practiced to listen to them. And that'll show you just how far our culture has come. Can you think of anything in popular entertainment? I'm thinking sitcoms, cartoons, pretty much any family portrayed in modern entertainment, whether it's comic or dramatic, where dad is a wise, hardworking, good, and righteous man? They're hard to find. Here's popular culture. Dad's an idiot. Mom's misguided and frantic, but certainly wiser than dad. And what's going to happen over and over again to make the drama or the comedy work is dad will be a coward or lazy or stupid and maybe his wife will rescue them, or maybe the kids will rescue them both. And the kids know better than anybody. And time after time, week after week, dad's kind of a clod, mom's better, but the kids are the ones that really have wisdom. It takes the millennial wisdom of the Bible and all of human culture, wherever God has shown up, and turns it on its head. Wise people receive instruction from their parents, but then it goes on to say that wise people refuse to listen to the wicked. What I'm going to read to you next, if you've ever had anything to do, and most of you haven't, because this is Huntington Beach, but this resonates really strongly in places where I've done ministry in the past as missionaries. What I'm going to read to you next sounds like gang life. It's going to portray what waits for Solomon's young son. He's going to take his money, he's going to take his influence, he's going to take his father's name and his father's fame out into life, and as he is a growing young man, other young men will flock around him and say, hey man, come with us. Be part of our little squad. We're going to get rich, we're going to get famous, we're going to have the good life. Never mind your father, never mind your mother. They're old, they're stupid, they don't understand what's up. Now, when I worked with gang members in Mexico, this really resonated. Guys who had already been humbled by prison, their eyes opened wide. Say, why, why would this have any connection to us? Because listen, through the miracle of social media and your smartphone, you can bring every wicked influence straight into your bedroom. And you don't have to be in a neighborhood filled with foolish young men to be influenced by the way they think about life and the way they act in it. Listen, my son, verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us why and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, like the grave. Let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. 
We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They sat in ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. You don't have to be a gang member. If you're possessed by greed, Proverbs warns, you're setting a trap for your own life. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wise people refuse to listen to the wicked, and instead, third thought, wise people accept correction. Look in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is poetry. Wisdom is personified here as a woman. And she's walking through the entire city. She's going where people live and where business is done, where life is decided and saying, you're all acting foolish. Disaster awaits you. If you'll listen to me, I'll give you everything. And wise people hear that correction. Proverbs 9, verse 8. It's on your outline. Will you read that with me, please? The Bible says, do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Do you remember the last time you were corrected? Did you give that person a hug? Did it deepen your friendship? Did it make you grow in respect for them? If it didn't, you may have been more foolish than you know. Because a scoffer hates someone who tells him is wrong. Someone who is already wise when corrected, even though it stings, will love that person because they know that blessings are being opened to them. Because the final warning of Proverbs is that each of us will have to live with our own choices. I'm going to read this and then I'm done. And listen, this is going to get dark. This next section, the closing words of the chapter of Proverbs intend to put life and death before the people who listen. And people who don't take it seriously have already set their path, foot on a slippery path headed in a terrible direction. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you have refused to listen. I have stretched my, out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. This is the voice of God. This is Lady Wisdom giving a deadly warning. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. 
would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Here's your invitation. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. It doesn't get any heavier. God who knows that there is one life on this earth and after that comes the judgment. God who knows that your precious single life can be enjoyed in every way as God intended or can be twisted to the harm of others and your own destruction. He doesn't mince words because He loves you. He tells you that life and death are just ahead of you and that Lady Wisdom, God Himself, in His wisdom, the person of Jesus Christ is calling out to you, beckoning you and inviting you and literally pleading with you to come and enjoy the life that God offers. But if you persistently turn away from Him, if you consistently tell Him no, the same wisdom warns that there will come a day when you call out and no one will be there to answer because wisdom has turned you over to your own choices. And the most painful conversations I ever have and the saddest funeral services I ever attend are those who remember the life of a man or a woman who insisted to have nothing to do with God and now we are left dealing with the inevitable consequences of a lifetime choice. And there's nothing anybody in the world can do because Lady Wisdom says, come to me now while you can still hear me. There may come a day when you call out to me and I'll laugh instead because I've already chosen to give you what you insisted you must have. This is wisdom. This is why Scripture matters. This is why responding to Jesus matters. And that church is why we're here.